a listener production. Hi, and welcome back to Broadsheet Sydney Around Town. I'm Emma Joyce, Features Editor at Broadsheet, and I host this short guide to Sydney. Today, we're chatting to playwright Tommy Murphy about Sydney Theatre Company's new play, On the Beach. Tommy and artistic director Kit Williams started working on the production way back in 2018, before the pandemic, before Barbenheimer, before the Orcas submarine deal. Now the eerily relevant play, adapted from the 1957 novel, is blowing audiences away for its depiction of love and hope at the end of the world. Its themes of living in the present and acting for a planet we won't live to see feel all too familiar. Hi, Tommy. Thank you so much for joining us. Now, we were just mentioning this before we hit record. I walked out of the matinee performance of On the Beach. You are the playwright for On the Beach. You adapted this particular production, a brand new production, from the 1957 novel. And I was devastated. I was absolutely devastated. And I know a bunch of people around me were saying just how eerily relevant the whole production is. So we'll get into that in a minute. But I'd love to know, about six years ago, you and artistic director Kit Williams were having a conversation about a book you would like to adapt to the stage and you decided to do On the Beach by Neville Shute. Why? I think I was struck by a few things. Firstly, at that time, I remember reading it going into the summer of 2018 and Sydney was on fire. So I thought this is a a really resonant way to tell a story about the climate crisis, but without telling a story about the climate crisis, you know, to, to do that via metaphor. And then personally, I thought that it's story of of loss and uh, of dealing with loss, but in a, despite your emotional response to the play, a kind of strange optimism, even mm. though it's about the end of the world. Oh, I completely agree. There's, there's hope, there's humour. There's hope, yeah. There's something affirming, and, and particularly because he says to us, you know, Shoot says, it's not too late. Mm-hmm. So in that in that way, he's, he is certainly trying to alarm his readership and the play is trying to alarm its audience, but, but there's a message of, you know, be active and and uh, it's not too late. Um, so that story of coping, of resilience, of coping with loss spoke to me personally. And then the pandemic happened, and I think those themes mattered even more. Mm. So you you were already approaching something with the lens of climate crisis is very much upon us, and yeah. this is an urgency that we should act upon. And and somebody who's written a book in the nineteen fifties has all of these sort of resonant themes that mm. feel like feel like he's kind of projecting ahead yeah, and seeing he, the future. That's right, because he is saying something to us, even from 1957, about our duty to our planet. And then there's those other uncanny things. I mean, you'll have seen, heard in the play, there's mentions, mentions of Odessa and the Black Sea region and conflict between NATO and Russia. Um, all of these things that are the spookiest uh, prophecies um, and, you know, Odessa's in the news this week. So it, it's, it, I mean, I guess in that way, he's attuned to um, mistakes that get repeated. Um, but then there are other things that I felt, you know, there's sort of images in the book and you'll have seen this in the play that on the beach seems to sort of give us pictures that feel a bit like social distancing. You know, when Peter comes back from the mission and he's got <laughs> measles and he's made to stay apart from his child or when Moira describes... Uh, the great cities of the world emptied of people 
And that seems like a, a reference to a lockdown. Mm, but we don't really have to imagine too much. No. Because we no. have seen some of this and what yeah. it feels like. So before I go into it a little bit more, mm. if you haven't heard of On the Beach, uh, you've got no idea what we're talking about. Can you give us a kind of summary of the story? Yeah. So Neville, Neville Shute's novel gives us this almighty premise, and that is that World War Three has happened. You know, Oppenheimer is our prequel. So that that happens, World War Three goes ahead in this version of history, and this toxic cloud resulting from radiological warfare is making its way down the globe, and Australia and then Melbourne will be the last major population. And this story is about the people there in Frankston, um, about including a, a a naval commander of a submarine who has escaped the war uh, and uh, and survived here. And uh, and then uh, some Australians as well. And it's about their their, their battles of how they approach uh, the last days of their lives, and how they also find, I guess, because all of their tomorrows are disappearing, that they focus on the moment. Um, they know how to live in the moment, and and that's another thing that struck me. That's an incredibly contemporary idea. Now I'm going to pick up the program because I don't want to paraphrase you. Um, as the playwright, you have source material, which is the original book. Yeah. There was also a film. Yes. Uh, only maybe two years or so. Yeah, it was made really quickly. Made, yeah. Starring Gregory Peck and mm. Ava Gardner. Ava Gardner and, and, uh, and Anthony Perkins being so hot. He's smoking hot in that film. I haven't seen the film. <laughs> but, I, but it does strike me that there's a couple of different storytellings of the same kind of yeah. the same story. Yeah. You've said that every adaptation must shapeshift from the source to embrace its new form. So with this new production and this shapeshifting, mm. what were the main things that you wanted to focus on to, to bring this production um, to new audiences? Well, I wanted to embrace that particular imagination that theatre loves. And my only source was the novel. I ne we never had the rights to the film. And actually the film has um, t does emphasise things that weren't interesting to us and it is, it is a little dated and the book was our inspiration. So I, I wanted to do what theatre does well, I think, and that is to make it really character rich, make sure all of those characters were contributing to the drama and driving it. And uh, some characters in a novel and in this novel are able to be sort of... Um, you know, a, a spokesperson for the the writer in a way that that wouldn't be good on stage, uh, and sometimes in the book, you know, it's enjoyable enough in the book, but they ask questions and receive information. Well, that's not dramatic, and so there was that need to innovate some of the characters, particularly I'd say the the female characters, mm -hmm. Mary in particular. Uh, she is characterised via Shoot's nineteen fifties idea of of a woman, and he sells her short. So we've made her a far more active and wise character and just a bigger player in the action. Uh, and she really is, the, you know, in many ways, the, the heart of the story. Uh, and, and similarly, Moira, even though she's a fabulous character in the book, her, her end point is really uh, in deference to the man. And that's something that, that, that we've amended in, in our version and made her more powerful right to the end. And, and given it made her sort of more in charge of her destiny uh, at the end of the story. So in those ways, we've, we've mediated it. But I think, you know, in terms of that imagination that theatre offers you, it's about dream, it's about memory. And in this story, it's about them 
um, sort of ac- accessing that that future that they're yearning for that's going to be robbed from them. We find theatrical uh, imaginings of that. What I really enjoyed as part of this production, and I imagine that it was a challenge to do, is that we've got all these layers of history. Mm. We know how things played out from the moment that that book was released into the world. We know how it's happened so far. And some of those things have become true. We'd certainly have nuclear submarines. Yeah, We've definitely had more war. Maybe it's not World War Three. Oppenheimer is in cinemas right now. Yeah. It's something we're talking about a lot. We've seen the pandemic. And so many people in the audience that I was in said it was eerily relevant. Yeah. So how did you decide what you would include in this production of yeah. real life and what you would kind of leave for the audiences to to kind of paint in themselves? Well, that's a very good question. I think, Emma, I love the way you talk about the, like the layers of history that are at play here because that's part of my thinking on that, you know, that there's this time game, which is fun. He, he writes the book in 1957, but he's imagining 1963. Mm-hmm. And here we are 60 years after that story setting. Mm. So that's, that in itself is an opportunity. Yep. And so one of the things that are, uh, that are included that actually sort of, are, well, I guess in addition to the storytelling of the novel, are depictions of that future or, or figures from that future that are impossible for the characters to actually know about but um, we're able to render those apparitions via our stance here from the perspective of 2023. That said, in terms of the things that were in, in addition, I did several drafts where I think there was too much commentary. And it was just, you know, it was a good part of my process to try that, you know, direct commentary about the situation now, global politics or the environment. And I found myself wanting to wash those away from the draft and return to the, many of the impulses of Neville Shute mm-hmm. because his telling, his prophecy uh, via metaphor of what we're going through now was more interesting. Another aspect of this play that I think is something that haunts me still is how we've seen how our friends or our family react during the pandemic, let's say. Some of us maybe went into baking mode. Some of us might have been uh, picking up a new hobby. Others could have been like, let's drink through this because we don't know what's going to happen. Moira does that. Yeah. And this is played out through lots of different characters in a way that I thought was really interesting. Did you find that uh, kind of reflective process? Did you think, oh, some of this is the way I acted when the pandemic came around or I was the one under the doona or I was the one actively trying to make sure that the future was going to be hopeful or something like that. Yeah, look, Moira's plan's a good one. She's like, well, you know, the world's ending, let's party. Like she, she, she's not, she's not entirely hedonistic, but she's um, certainly uh, medicating or or embracing fun because that's a good coping mechanism. And then she finds something, a, a deeper connection throughout the play and I think the other thing that feels contemporary in that regard is um, the character's uh, resourcefulness, and that's detail mm. from the book. You know, mm. they, they don't have petrol or they're finding other ways uh, for travel. They're jerry-rigging their garden equipment and, and making do or pulling uh, a holden with a bull, you know, things like this that um, are to an extreme but seem to speak to a story of a sort of resourcefulness uh, and the resilience of the pandemic. And so teasing that out, particularly for the character of Peter, who 
you know, there's a hint of this in the book, but we really went to town with it, was that he feels that he can fix every problem. You know, he's got glue in his shed. He can he can be resourceful <laughs> and fix things. Maybe he can save the world, which is, you know, a really kind of painful form of denial that he goes through in the play. Another element that I thought was just fascinating is how funny it is when we look at oh, potentially good we've hear. only got maybe six months left <laughs> yeah. before the end of humanity. Yeah. And a lot of really funny jokes are in there. And I think particularly Australian jokes. I don't want to yeah. give anything away because I think some of them would be spoilers. Yeah. Uh, is there any kind of humour that you feel like was, yeah, this is this is an Australian novel? Yes. I mean, the, the book it does offer a lot of humour. And I think the Australian that the Australian character here is in the the way that many emotions sit next to each other, I think. Like we're, we're very good at pulling the tension. Um, and so, and I, I think that's true of life. Like I just think that l- the experience of life is never in accordance with genre and, and the different emotions contrast and sit mm-hmm. next to each other. You know, people are really funny at awake. It's, it might be about coping. It might be, able, you know, about a sort of pressure val- valve uh, on emotion. But it's just true to life, like many emotions. And I think theatre just has to be funny at some point. Th- this is not a comedy, but it, but but to to show life truthfully, it's going to have those lighter moments. It's going to laugh at a crisis. The actors are phenomenal. Are they wonderful? So wonderful. And Ty Hara, it's his Sydney Theatre Company debut. He's a very experienced TV and screen actor. He has done theatre before and he's a trained actor, but I don't think he's been on the stage for a little while. He's great. He really brought that particular character to life for me. Very, yeah. very fascinating to watch. But I'd say the whole the whole cast is just phenomenal. They are. They're an extraordinary bunch and they pour everything into these roles. And I think also there, there are actors there like Vanessa Downing and Emma Diaz who play smaller roles, mm. uh, or Elijah Williams, and they uh, you know delineate all those many roles so beautifully. It's a great ensemble and a treat for a playwright to, you know, Australian playwrights don't, get to write plays on this scale on such a giant stage. I mean, the Ros Pack is huge and 12 actors. Like that's a rare treat for a playwright. So mm-hmm. I feel really, really lucky. I know exactly what you mean about Emma Diaz, I think. Yeah. Her particular roles within yes. this because yeah. there's multiple yeah. characters that she embodies mm. are really stay with you. I don't want to say haunting again, but they stay with you in a in a way that only a couple of seconds on stage. Yeah, she is the haunting part of it, actually. She she brings that quality. Yeah. Is there anything as part of the kind of rehearsal process when once you brought the actors in Mm. that made you change how you had approached the adaptation? Oh, yeah, always. One of the great things about creating plays is that opportunity to collaborate with actors. So we did a workshop before rehearsals began. That wasn't entirely with this cast, but the actors that were available then and we we tested things and I did a, did some rewrites. And then, yeah, even in the rehearsal room, you're always testing it, always scrutinising it, and that might happen line by line. And sometimes we would test things and say, oh, it's a strange sort of construction, but if it came from Neville Shoot, I tried to preserve it. I, li- I loved the language of of Neville Shute and and took inspiration from his uh, dialogue in the book as much as I could. I thought it was really interesting that he didn't love the film adaptation. I think I it killed him. That's the rumour. That is what you've said in the program. Yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. Well, I hope it's more than a rumour, but that's what they say, that he was, he was unwell, but he was so outraged, particularly with the sex in the film. Mm. So, yeah, rumour has it that, he, that that led to the stroke that sadly killed him. But you 
suggests that yes, this sexual tension is there. Oh, I, the I kept the sex in. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I think I feel that 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 is, is there's a lot of sexual yearning, and I feel that there is a 1950s kind of honouring of sexual restraint in the book that just wasn't interesting or truthful to me. So I I, I, I let them have their you know their root. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm very glad you did. I think that it's part of the too. human experience yeah. and everything on stage. Why shy away from sex? Why shy away? Everything on stage in On the Beach reflected back a little bit of what we have experienced, but yeah. also the horrors of what we could. Yes, exactly. It's only showing until the 12th of August, I, I believe. I know. It's so if you want to see it. It's a big theatre. There are still tickets available. But yeah, it's 12th of August. We finish. Definitely. And you can still get tickets at sydneytheatre.com.au. So run out and get it, I say. Sydney Theatre Company. Oh, it's a Sydney Theatre that... Company? Oh, look, I don't know. Why did I say that? I have no idea what our website is. <laughs> I think that is. it's sydneytheatre.com.au, that sounds but much I will better, double check. Emma. That sounds much better. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> thanks so much for coming in and talking to me about it. And when we've stopped recording, we'll go through all the spoilers. <laughs> oh, thank you. An absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. And that's all we have time for today. As always, you can keep up to date with what's happening around Sydney at broadsheet.com.au and at broadsheet underscore Sid on Instagram. Listener.